Hi, I'm Tina Spangler with TLC Barrels and welcome to my podcast. Today I want to talk a little bit about psychology. Psychology of the horse. I'd like to get into psychology of the rider too, but maybe that'll be the next podcast. Um, I would say for the last 29 years as a teacher of people and horses together, Um, I've had to become a bit of a psychologist for horses and for people. You know, it's taken a lot to really try to understand the horse and where they're coming from. And, And that's what I want this podcast to be about, understanding the horse's point of view and maybe, you know, their... Uh, lack of education with people or the trauma they've been through or maybe the pressure they get put under uh, the human calendars and maybe why they shut down and get bad habits and I'd like us to think of the horse and come to them from a non-judgmental way but maybe with more compassion and more empathy and then we can get into people on the next one but Understanding horses and how they think and how they learn has been a big part of my life. And I started TLC with the goal of helping one horse and rider be the best team they can be and the ride with ride with heart concept or motto of putting the horse before the competition. Um, there were certain principles that I always believed and rules that I felt like you had to have you know, from the stuff that I would see at barrel races that I didn't like. And I always felt like the rules had to be, I couldn't get hurt, they couldn't get hurt, and they needed to be more calm and relaxed when I was finished working with them. Not tired, not wore out, but calm and relaxed, where I knew that they had learned something and processed it well, and we ended on a good note. Those were the rules I stuck by. And then the next important thing was to me is, is how the horse thinks. I had to really think about um, why a horse runs when they're scared. They sometimes run from things, they run from people, you know, they run from animals. They do that because that's how they would protect themselves in the wild and they they definitely feel that way instinctively. So um, I also think about how a horse is um, in a herd, how they're a community animal and they work off pecking order and um, when you think of a horse being scared and running that's not a good thing for us as um, part of their herd if you think of us as a herd of two the last thing I want my horse to do when he gets scared or she gets scared is to run and bolt with me and not stop when I wanted to stop so that's why desensitizing has to be a big part of your horse's training on the ground and in the saddle um there's certain things that I have to have in my training, and I feel like that is um, trust, respect, communication of cues, and all of that is super important, but understanding the horse has to come be even before that. So a horse is also a lazy animal. They actually like to just graze and rest a while or go get something to drink and rest some more and graze some more. Anybody who's watched their horse for a day knows that they they don't always run around and play and get into mischief. That's just maybe a few minutes of their day. So we can think about that when we're working with our horses. You know, that's why so often when a horse tries for me, I stop and rest them and pet them and reward them and let that pressure go away. And that's their 
they they like the rest. They like the idea of of just getting to relax with no pressure and no more uh, being asked to do anything. So that comes in handy um, as part of my psychology that I work with horses. Um, I also think about if they're a stallion or a mare because a mare is going to come in season and and a stud's going to want to reproduce and and those factors can get in the way sometimes when you have a, a plan and they have a plan and they don't mesh. So some examples of that, um, you know, examples of how horses can be and, and we've all dealt with this, you know, like let's say um, you're go- riding in the arena and they always walk faster um, back towards the horse trailer or towards the gate or they kind of drift back towards the herd or towards the gate or want to walk faster back on the trail ride back to the trailer or to the barn so we've all done that or go out to catch them in the pasture and they don't always just let you catch them you have to mirror them left and right a few times until you can ease up in there and and get them because they're like well I don't really want to go to work today so how serious are they about catching me and you know we've all been in that situation before We've been in situations where they get scared and they jump or bolt or jump over you or through you or, you know, or pull you, your arm out of the socket on the lead rope. You know, we've been in a situation um, where sometimes they're just super playful on a cold day and want to buck and rear and we better do some groundwork before we get on. So, you know, we've all seen some of the natural things that horses are. And so often in my podcast, I talk about training horses and I talk about dry work and drills and foundations and blah, 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 blah. But I don't think you can actually work with a horse if you don't think about how a human thinks and how a horse thinks. You know, a horse does run for safety. They, 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 we need to teach them to spook in place. We need to teach them that, that we are a herd of two and that we're the alpha. We're the boss mare or, you know, the head of the herd, and they're safe and secure, and they can trust in us, and that we're going to respect them, and not be an unfair um, leader of the herd, and it's our job to teach them when they're scared to override their natural instinct to run, but to stay put, and to handle it, because we've asked them to. Um, it's, it's just a really important thing because they feel safer in numbers and our herd is only going to be a herd of two. So if you've ever been on a trail ride with multiple horses and you get left behind on a green one, sometimes they get real upset about that. They want to be up in the pack or, you know, even some want to be the leader. So we've all felt that before on a horse. Um, it's just part of how they feel secure in, in the herd, knowing their position. And some are happy to be first, some are happy to be second, but some, some are going to try their position for, for a placement in the herd in a different place. Um, some are very much the last on the pecking order. We've seen that when you have horses that are together in a pasture at feeding time. Or even how they go to the drink water or or anything where they go and walk around and graze on the property who's leading the direction of the herd. So, So we can use some of these things to our advantage as a human when we're working with them. We can do rest and praise. Um, we can do pressure and release. We can do spook in place for desensitizing. desensitizing. Mm. We can do, sorry, I just came in from working horses and the pollen is way up and my allergies are way up with it. Um, allergies and asthma are not a good combination in the spring in Florida. 
So anyways, um, we, um, we can look at, at the horse as three parts for their, their well-being. And we really have to consider every single part of that horse for their well-being. The physical is very important. Can they even do what we ask them to do? Rocky's a wonderful example of that. He was only 27 pounds at birth. And, you know, with my other horses, I got him at three and got their basic solid and then showed him the pattern and started hauling for exhibitions at four and started competing at five. Rocky's four and a half this year, and I'm still working on his basics. I haven't even gone above a walk trot on the barrels. I haven't even exhibitioned him yet and just barely started hauling him for exposure. I've taken him extremely slow because of his start in life. He was very fragile and small and sick, and he was very much behind um, physically as well as emotionally and mentally than my other horses. Was it because of his dismature start in life? He was like a premature foal, but he was dismature where he went over his due date and a placenta that was too small for him and had a 50-50 chance he'd even live. And he spent the first month of his life in my lap getting doctored around the clock and having seizures and everything else that goes along with a dismature foal. So I've taken him slow because I wanted him to be physically capable to carry me, um, physically capable that he wouldn't get lame or hurt. Um, also, he was very emotionally and mentally immature. So, so we have to look at that. Um, we also have to look at if they're ready to do what we want them to do in their competition. So let's say we get them broke and they're going along nice foundation. We start hauling them and they get hot spots or they can't handle the next level of speed. We have to learn to back off because physically they, their body might be saying, I can't. So you have to learn to, to wait on them, you know, and then that takes me into the mental end of it. We have to teach it slow and correct because if we rush it, that's when problems arise. It's like skipping grades. It's like going from first grade, second grade up into college without finishing out the rest of the grades. Of course, they're mentally not going to handle that. And then um, bad behavior and, and you know bad habits or a total shutdown, all those things are going to happen. You're going to end up with a hot horse, a stressed horse. You know, a lot of mental and emotional problems will come next. And speaking of the emotional end of it, that's a big deal. Um, if you take a horse and you rush them too much, uh, there's a very good jo- very good chance that they are going to develop some of those things like shutting down or bad habits or, or dread of doing their job. Um, they may even become fearful of it. So that's why you have to desensitize them slowly and condition them slowly in your backyard, hauling them to short distances and easy light exposure and then slowly exhibitioning. And, you know, that's why we go through a process of practice pins and then jackpots and then maybe super shows or open rodeos, maybe slack before performance. I mean, there's this whole... Um, steps that we go through so that we keep their mental and emotional well-being being solid. We don't speed up before they're ready. Those are all important things. 
Um, we teach them to emotionally, this is extremely important with barrel horses, but it's important with any horse. We teach them how to deal with their emotions by going faster and then going slower. They have to transition not only physically, but mentally and emotionally. They have to be able to calm down after fast work and not stay up and hot completely. Other things can happen, like getting buddy sour. And if you have a horse that gets buddy sour, maybe it is that mare that's coming in season and um, wants to be back with the herd and can't focus on you. That horse is going to need more focus on cues and communication of cues than ever. And you may have to have that relationship start on the ground through having them going left, right, forward, backwards, yield the front end, yield the back end, head down, head left, head right, um, just so much that you would do on the ground and then apply it into the saddle so that your horse is so focused on a cue that now they're not so focused on being buddy sour. So those are three really important things to think about. If someone asked me today if I was a trainer, I would say, no, I'm a teacher. And the reason why I would say that is because I feel like a trainer, I feel like there's three ways to go at a horse and everybody does it differently. And I really think it, and we'll get into that a different, different day. Um, but I think there's, there's three ways to go to horse. Some people do it very passively, you know, maybe spoil them with treats and pet them and maybe, oh, if you want to do it today, pretty boy, or if you want to smell every rock in the field, okay. And then there's the really aggressive trainer who goes out there with their agenda and forces everything. It's their, their calendar, you know, maybe their intimidation training or exhaustion training. Um, maybe they'll, you know, starve them or, uh, pressure them with no reward. Um, those kind of trainers. And then I feel like there's that one in the middle, that assertive one, but they're more like that teacher or that parent who has boundaries and rules. I feel like a teacher is that person who is more understanding and, and is in it for the right reason to nourish and develop and coming to them from a place of love. Um, that that teacher wants to communicate with them so that they understand what's being asked of them. That teacher develops a lesson plan um, so the student knows what to expect. The teacher also knows that a student is not always an A student. Sometimes they might be a C student, but it doesn't define them. It just means that maybe the teacher needs to teach better or explain it in a way that the student can then become an A student. Um, and not every student can be an A student all the time. Some are going to be B, C, maybe even a D or an F some days. So a teacher looks at it from a foundation point and wants to build from that foundation. A teacher knows that two plus two has to always be four. It can't be inconsistent and be a three one day and a five the next day. You have to be consistent. A teacher versus a trainer goes off the horse's calendar, not the human's calendar. Um, you know, it's kind of like a teacher wants to have people come over for lessons or does wants to have clinics because they want them to understand how they're working with that horse um, versus a trainer who maybe wouldn't want you to come watch. And to me, that's a really big red flag because what are they doing that they don't want you to see? Are they really doing some of the things I've mentioned and that are way too aggressive. Um, 
And why are they doing it that way? Why does this horse, why do they have no compassion or empathy? Why are they so judgmental and hard on this horse? Why are they not trying to understand where this horse is coming from? Maybe the horse is coming from a place of trauma or a lack of education or overpressured at some point or maybe even pain. So those are all things that people... um, as a teacher would look at and maybe as a trainer with their own agenda would not if the horse wasn't being put first. So I feel like I tell my group to have a goal for each week, but I don't think you can have a goal if you don't have a plan because I feel like you will fail. So if I say, okay, guys, set a goal. And then they're like, okay, I want to do this by Friday. Well, that's lovely, but you're probably going to fail if you don't have a starting point. So how would you get a starting point? The first thing you want to do is think of something that you can do with your horse that is 100% every single time you do it and do that thing. So maybe it's a face flex. Maybe from the ground, 100% of the time, you can ask your horse to laterally flex their face left towards their stirrup and right towards your stirrup. And they'll do that 100% of the time at a standstill and at a walk. And they'll do that in the saddle um, well, at a standstill on the ground and then at a walk in the saddle, uh, both in the, in the saddle, you get my point. So, or maybe it is a perfect circle. Maybe they'll walk a perfect circle hundred percent of the time, or maybe they can walk a perfect straight line while they face flex and left and to the right. Okay. So whatever it is, break those steps down and start at your starting point of control where, you know, hundred percent of the time you can get that done. And then when you haul out, always go back. Let that be that thing that you go back to that gives you and your horse confidence, consistency, and repetition that you will always be two plus two is four. And so if that face flexing is that for you, do that. Because that's the thing that you know that you can get done every single time, no matter what. And then you build on it. So if, okay, 100% of the time I can face flex, but my goal this week was to get leg laterals where I had more shoulder control, that's a good place to start because I know 100% of the time I can get his nose. Now I've just got to get, get him to move off my leg. And with give and take pressure, I can probably get there because I've got one concept down. I can probably add the second concept. And then you have to be that teacher who knows when to quit. I don't like to do things in more than sets of three. And I'll quit on the second one if it's perfect. Because again, you don't need to be compulsive, obsessive, perfectionist as a teacher. That would be more the trainer who's doing it for their agenda instead of the student's agenda, the child, the horses, the child, you know, their agenda, thinking of it from the horse's standpoint. So, um, some examples of steps. Okay. So let's say this is my goal for the week. I really want to break it down though. I want to break it down to a lot of steps. Okay. I can't just say this is my goal. I need to have steps. So here's a visual for you. Let's say I want to clip the bridle path and I want to have clippers that are kind of noisy and they plug in. So my horse is going to have to stand close by, but that's a pretty big goal if my horse has never even heard or seen a clipper. So how would I start? First, I would start with a head down cue. Can I consistently put my horse's head down and they'll stand quietly? That's a good place to start. Then can I consistently put my horse's head down and put a brush on their bridle path and kind of brush softly on their bridle path? And then while I'm brushing them, can I make a bzzz noise and then still keep their head down low? If I can do that, that's a good place. 
then maybe I'm going to get the clippers out and touch them, let them smell them, and maybe touch them on their shoulder and take them away. And if they stand quietly, don't mind that, I'm going to try their neck. If they stand quietly and don't mind that, I'll try their mane. And then between their ears. Okay, so if all that's going well, and this may not even happen all in one session. This may be two, three days, maybe a week. Who knows? We're going on the horse's calendar, not the human calendar. Um, every horse is different for their sensitivity and what there's going to bother them. So then I might try to turn the clippers on away from my horse and slowly bring them closer to them without them moving and keeping their head down. And then I might get it where they can smell the clippers on and then take them away and then touch their shoulder and then their mane and then their, or excuse me, their neck and then their mane and then between their ears again with the head down. But again, this may not happen all in one day. It may take a week. It may take a month. I don't know. It depends on the horse, but I'm setting up a step, a goal. I have a goal, but then I break it into a bunch of steps and I don't go to the next step until I've mastered the first step. So that's an example. Each time they give me a good answer, I quit. I take the pressure away. If they start to mess up, I try to keep a little pressure on until they start to stand and maybe keep the head down. And then I take the pressure away. So if I think they're going to move in a second, in three quarters of a second, I pull the pressure away. Okay, so I have to be more proactive than reactive because I need two plus two to be four. So these are all things that you have to think about when you're training horses. And this is simple when I'm talking about clipping their bridle path. But this also leads to having a 1D burrow horse because everything is a process. Everything is education. Everything is a step to get to a goal and then to a bigger goal, to a bigger goal, to a faster goal. It all has to happen with repetition, calmness, understanding, consistency. And then you add more speed and mental and emotional control. And that's just the process that you have to go through. And this is psychology of working with horses. So now another example of that would be, um, you know, to apply it to putting the bit on or maybe the first time you saddle them or, or lunge them for the first time or ride them for the first time or face flex, one rein stops. Um, all of these things you can apply and say, okay, once it's perfect at a standstill, I'll do it at a walk. Once it's perfect at a, a jog, I'll do it at a trot. When it's perfect at a, you know, if you're doing barrel racing, if you're teaching them the barrels, once it's perfect at a post-trot sit jog, I'll do a lope to the barrel trot around on the, you know, correct lead slope out again. Maybe once they're ready for that, I'll do a high lope too and slow lope around and high lope out and hope they change their leads on cue and, and all that. So again, it's a process and you don't add speed until each one is correct and and perfect. You don't want to move on until it's correct to the same rider cues and it's perfect at the current speed. It'd be no different in competition. If you're perfect at the 4D and you want to start adding speed and get into the 3D or you've been pretty solid 3D and you think you're ready to start adding a little bit more for the 2D and all of that comes from communication of cues. It comes from trust. It comes from respect Trust in the sense that you're not going to let them down. You're not going to ask for more than they can handle. Respect coming from a place of love that you're not going to put them in a situation where you're going to ask too much and, and, you know, and work them when they're in pain or, or mentally fried or emotionally a mess. And you're going to respect and love that horse, um, 
and come to it from that place, a place of wanting to teach them to have a solid lesson plan, to, to end on a quiet, calmer note where nobody gets hurt and you're licking and chewing and exhaling and, and a happy horse at the end. So that trust comes a big part of desensitizing and understanding the lesson and understanding the new speed. Um, the respect is absolutely a big part of your communication and understanding the individual and what's the best way to communicate with that individual because they're all unique and different. And that's a really important thing that you cannot treat them all the same. You can't treat a sensitive horse like a laid back horse. You can't treat a a, a lazy horse like a free running horse they all have to be treated differently you know a bendy horse and a stiff horse a rollback or a four-wheel drive they're all unique um they all learn at different speeds and you can't compare them um you know boy girl you know size shape everything's different and how they move and your your positioning of them all of that's going to vary from horse to horse so you must respect their individuality the communication of cues is extremely important. You need to come to it with a place of one thing, one step, and make sure that's 100% before you go to step two, and so on. And, and finally, remember why you do this. Remember that you are there because you love horses. You love horses, and that's why you're listening to this podcast. Um, that's why you have a horse in your backyard or you board your horse or you own a horse um, because you love horses. It's not just the commodity. It's not just the competition. You, you care about your horse. And so think of it from that standpoint and you will never go wrong with your horse. Um, maybe you don't always know what to do. So that's where I come in as a coach, but that's important even that that you're out there helping yourself by getting someone to help you have a better relationship with your horse so trust your gut instinct on that too if you're with that trainer who's super aggressive don't stay if you're with the one that's too passive maybe that's not the right fit for you either find that middle ground because remember um, horse psychology is a big deal I mean humans Humans, a lot of times the way that a human comes to train a horse, um, we, we border on why we do things of the passive, the assertive and aggressive, sometimes based on our own past, our own education, our own experience with people or losses or trauma of our own. So um, we have to decide, are we a perfectionist? Or why are we so competitive? Why am I never not satisfied I don't know who you are or what is what makes you tick but I truly believe you have to understand why you do what you do because if you don't understand what you do it's going to be hard to understand the horse that shuts down or the horse that has bad habits or the horse that gets over pressured and and I think sorry allergies I think if you come to a horse from that point the place of be more compassionate and understanding your of your horse you'll have a lot more um, empathy and forgiveness for what they've been through in their life and maybe the misunderstandings that they've had so like I said the next podcast I'm going to talk a little bit more about where the human comes into this from and and their perspective on things but I just hope that gave you something to think about as far as your horse and 
and maybe why they struggle sometimes and maybe gave you some ideas of things to do to help them more physically, mentally, and emotionally become a happy, happy horse and, um, and help you and your horse become a better team. So thank you again for tuning in. And as always, ride with heart.